0: Welcome to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. I'm your host, Shannon Felt, teacher trainer, resource provider, and course creator for teachers around the world. In each episode, I'll share concrete strategies to help you sharpen your skills and become the very best teacher you can be. We're talking all things ELT, the most effective classroom practices, communicative methodology, And valuable tips for planning and teaching so you can help your students see real improvement in their language abilities. We'll also hear from language teachers and ELT professionals all over the globe who are making inspiring moves in our industry. So thanks for joining me. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Welcome back to Expand Your Horizons. This week, I'm happy to welcome Brock Brady to the podcast. Brock began his career in the ELT industry somewhat spontaneously, as you'll hear from our conversation, as a Peace Corps volunteer in Togo, West Africa. From there, he went on to earn a master's degree in TESOL before gaining experience in positions such as English lecturer in South Korea and Language Center director in Burkina Faso and Benin. He served as the co-director of American University's TESOL program in Washington, D.C., and later returned to the Peace Corps, this time as an education sector specialist and the TEPL certificate program manager. Perhaps most notably, Brock served for three years as the president of the TESOL International Association. Brock's extensive experience in ELT has taken him all over the world, but there was one final frontier he just recently decided to brave, online teaching. I even had the pleasure of working with Brock when he joined my online English teacher program to make that final leap in adapting his in-person teaching skills to online teaching skills. So today, Brock is graciously joining me on the podcast to share some more information about the TESOL International Association, as well as membership, plus for talking about his experience venturing into the world of online teaching. So let's get started. Hi, Brock. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. It's very nice to be invited.
0: Great to have you here. All right. So I just went through your introduction, your official introduction, but why don't you start by telling us a little bit more in your own words about who you are, what you do, all of that good stuff.
1: Well, right now um, I'm kind of in between. Over the past few years, I've been chair of the academic advisory board for a school that. uh, is composed entirely of volunteer teachers who have no experience teaching English and looking at ways that we can give them a little bit of support that doesn't take up too much of their time and still have a good opportunity for uh, learners who who really need to learn English. Uh, Another thing I took on just recently is I'm helping a, a chain of three Uh, English language schools which are owned by Latinos and their students are entirely Latinos and to teach them English and I'm looking at the program as a whole to see if I can be if it can be as effective as it as it could be I just finished a 12-year stint with Peace Corps where Mm -hmm. among other things I was able all by myself they let me go play in the sandbox (laughs) I got got to develop a, a program for a TESOL certificate that's 120 hours of training and two years of supervised teaching experience. Um, and uh, so that's been a real opportunity. And I've been able to work across the globe with uh, Peace, Corps, uh, Peace Corps staff from various posts. Uh, so that's kind of a context of where I am now.
0: I love it. So clearly you have a ton of experience in this industry. How did you first get into the field of English language teaching? What attracted you to TEFL or TESOL or teaching English in general?
1: Well, I was thinking about this in preparation of our talk today. And mm-hmm. I kind of think maybe it was a case of, the, of ELT following me rather than me following <laughs> ELT. I
0: like that. Um, okay.
1: A couple of observations I've made over the year is, be it as it may, you will never ask any young child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're going to say, I want to be a salt professional. <laughs> it's not going to happen.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right.
1: The other thing is nobody ever spent their last dime on an English lesson. They yep. may have spent it on alcohol. They may have spent it on something <laughs> else, but they did not spend it on an English. Um, so it's kind of nice because it means that We're responsible for helping people solve a problem that they want to solve, which is to speak English better, to be able to use English better. But it's not a high stakes game. You're not going to kill anybody with a bad English (laughs) lesson.
0: Totally. Yes. One of my co-trainers used to say that all the time. She would always say, it's just English teaching. It's not brain surgery. You know, if we mess up in our profession, nobody dies on the table. Like we can just correct our mistake and move on. Uh, So tell me a little bit more about your background. Obviously you've traveled a ton. You've had the opportunity to travel to many different countries, work in many different countries. Um, what's kind of the evolution or the progression of your career from that initial interest to ending up designing programs for the Peace Corps for 12 years?
1: Well, I think that's where it comes in about how did I get interested? I had finished my undergraduate studies in English Lit and I had this job and that job, but I really wasn't finding anything that had meaning, And then One day in the newspaper, yes, you used to find jobs through your newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, There was an advertisement looking for people who knew how to speak French, uh, who had worked on farms, and who would be interested in going to Africa. And it happened to be that this particular job, because of cultural uh, differences, wanted all males. Okay. You know, looked at the kinds of things. Well, I studied French. I speak a little bit of French and I grew up on farms in Oregon. So, you know, I had done a little bit of that. So I went down to the recruiting office and there okay. I was going. So, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I spent three years in Togo, West Africa, teaching people how to plow with oxen mm-hmm. uh, in part because the oxen that are resistant to sleeping sickness, like many breeds in, in, in Western Africa um, are the ones that are resistant to sleeping sickness. And so this was a program of bringing bigger cattle down from uh, Niger uh, and vaccinating them with, uh, vaccinating some so that they wouldn't get uh, sleeping sickness and uh, doing crossbreeding between the two. So it had very little to do with TESOL, but it was English and it did get me into an international focus on things.
0: What a cultural experience as well, just that I know for me, at least, and for many teachers that I've talked to, like that first taste of living a really different life and being abroad and meeting people from a completely different background is kind of life-changing and fascinating. And it makes you kind of think, wow, the world is maybe a lot bigger than I realized, but also a lot more accessible than I realized. Like it wasn't that difficult for you to answer this job ad and then find yourself in Africa.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's something too i feel very strongly about these days is, is that i really enjoy working with people that work across culture there's an mm-hmm. attitude there there's a commonality between me and whoever it was i was speaking to that it's not sides it's not win or lose it's it's just we're we're trying to keep everything together for everybody and here's yeah try this this is a good way to do it and yeah. it really gives me a great pleasure to talk to people who have had that experience of working across cultures, across frontiers, and are able to work around that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, This is just a bit of a diversion, but do you have a favorite place that you've lived or visited or traveled to in your career?
1: So uh, I have to begin by saying I've been spoiled rotten. Uh, (laughs) I'm so incredibly grateful. At this point, I've been able to visit close to 60 different countries. That's awesome. I had a Fulbright, which got me to Paris for a year. And then I stayed in Paris for two more years, uh, teaching English for specific purposes, Mm -hmm. in part because I hadn't spent my whole life in academia. I had repaired motorcycles and things like that. So I had kind of a sense for sorts of things that you might need to do in business as opposed to universities. Hmm. I can't believe that they gave me work permits for two years um, they, said, <laughs> they lost my paperwork and I wasn't going to argue with them uh, but finally <laughs> they they asked me to leave and I went back to the United States and uh, did some more graduate work and then there was a listing for a job as a lecturer in English at a science and technical university in Korea and, and again I think because I had that practical background because I had the problem, the, the experience with teaching English as a specific purpose. Uh, that's why I got the job.
0: Yeah. So not just general English, but what the specific purpose was, if you feel like sharing.
1: Well, so it was for uh, working with the professors as they were writing their uh, publications for science and technology.
0: Okay, so yeah, very much in that I was
1: using my layman knowledge to be able to fill in the gaps. Obviously, I wasn't the expert that they were, but if they could explain it to me, we could make sure the English got out.
0: Absolutely, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, so everywhere, it sounds like, was just kind of its own unique experience, nothing in particular that really stands out.
1: In terms of visits, Mm -hmm. definitely Brazil, where I spent... 10 days in Copacabana, two days in Brasilia, and six days in Manaus, mm-hmm. which is up in the north. I made four trips to Madagascar. That's wow. an amazing place. Uh, I, this Incredible. is Reap in Cambodia, which is where Angkor Wat is. And that was just amazing. Oh, that's so,
0: on my bucket list for sure.
1: <laughs> I'll stop there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting envy, travel envy already. Uh, okay. why not? It sounds like you've, you've built a really incredible career and had this amazing journey through all of these different experiences. So bringing it back to teaching a little bit, you know, you mentioned that you got into the industry just sort of randomly from answering this ad, but as you started to progress more into this field of English language teaching, were there any big challenges that you faced or maybe lessons that you learned sort of takeaways of, or moments that stand out in your mind of like, wow, that was really You know, I really learned something there about teaching.
1: Yes. In fact, this was one that just kind of came together today. So I thank you for asking me to prepare in advance. My first year in France, I was a teaching assistant, which means I wasn't really running a class, but I had after school classes with different uh, classes of students, different levels. And basically, I was told, here's your classes. Here's when they meet. Uh, you don't have to follow any curriculum. Just keep them happy.
0: Sounds a bit like a nightmare, and, honestly, with no structure.
1: <laughs> well, and I had just finished a, a, a TESOL program, a master's program, and we had covered everything that you would expect to be covered in a master's program, but they hadn't taught me how to teach a class. And I had five <laughs> or six books that, that that I brought with me, like Seltz and Murcia and the TESOL Apple book which probably nobody's heard of these anymore Uh, but they didn't tell me how to put together a lesson or how to make a continuity and it was so frustrating the books I brought well they were very interesting I had learned a lot and obviously knowing things about linguistics and the like is really important but they hadn't prepared me to be a good teacher
0: interesting
1: really interesting I think that that's been a problem in the united states but probably in the western world more widely that we're not very careful about preparing uh, people for teaching as well as knowing the kinds of things about how languages are transmitted and how we process things and how we can use that knowledge to make lessons better but first of all how do we put a lesson plan together right uh,
0: (laughs) absolutely yes and that's one of my huge goals and kind of um things that I really think a lot about at Tuffle Horizons is, yes, it's great to know language learning theory and linguistics and phonemes and terms, technical terms and all this stuff. But if if you haven't gotten the training, the hands-on training of like, okay, but when you step in front of the class virtually or in person, what do you do first? And what should you do next? And how do you put everything together? Exactly the experience that you're talking about.
1: So when you finish your MA, you want to find... You want to find Shannon and take her course. If you're doing Shannon's course, then when you get ready for the MA, you'll, you'll have a great foundation for it. <laughs> Thank you. It's I appreciate that. It's for her, I think.
0: <laughs> yes, you're talking about the Online English Teacher Program. <laughs> um, excellent. Yeah, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, okay, so talking about teaching and resources and how-to, something I really want to highlight from your resume and in your career is that you served as the president of the TESOL International Association. So for our listeners, I know there are some teachers out there who might be very familiar with that organization and others who are just hearing about it for the first time. So I'd love to talk more with you about that. What is, for people who don't know about it, what is the TESOL International Association? What does it do? What is it for? Give us some information about it.
1: So TESOL, Teaching English to Speakers of Other Languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, international. Uh, I worked very hard to get the international into the name. That's the one concrete thing that I did during my presidential years. Was oh. It's about, it's international. It's for everybody. <laughs>
0: very cool. Okay.
1: <laughs> so I have some small little legacy there.
0: No, I did not know that that was your specific contribution. That is awesome.
1: <laughs> so right now it's, it, it has been the largest association of English teachers in the world for a long, mm-hmm. long time as many of you probably know from your own experience, uh, COVID really turned the world upside down. And it was a very positive thing for Cell International in one sense, because we had struggled, although we wanted to be an international organization. Take for example, the annual convention. Well, typically it tends to be in North America just because that's where many of the members are. But one way or the other, it seems to work out that the people who are nearer the core of the association or the people who are farther along in their year year so that they have a budget uh, are able to attend the face-to-face conference, conference, but Mm -hmm. other people can't. And we were looking for some ways to encourage more interaction between TESOL International and the affiliate associations and affiliate associations are usually done by country so you might have uh, TESOL Brazil you might have TESOL Armenia Mm -hmm. Um, but it was hard to find ways to engage them well when online learning became a necessity and also a way to explode suddenly everybody was having to move offline and all those people that we couldn't reach out for it to before were very happy and they yeah. were discovering our low prices because we weren't charging people very much if they were outside North America because we wanted them to be involved so Right now, it's a little bit confusing. I was looking at the website today, and there's either 14,000 or there's 44,000 members. But it, okay. we had been losing members for a while. And then when COVID came on, many more wanted to join in. Mm-hmm. And now, for example, we have a face-to-face yearly convention. We had it in Pittsburgh this year. But we also have a completely offline version that anybody can engage in. Okay. So really, we have become a global organization, and we've been able to give more support uh, to affiliate organizations. And affiliate organizations also include uh, affiliate organizations of states. For example, there's California TSO, Cal TSO. There's New York TSO. Right. And so, it's important to know that there is what is sometimes called Big TESOL, which is kind of an umbrella organization. But then country by country, state by state, in many cases, there's at least one or not two associates. And that's good because you can, people who are coming into the profession can be encouraged to get involved, can be given practices they can engage in, not only to mm-hmm. support the organizations, but to help them be more professional in their interactions of their schools and, and uh, interactions at large. Plus, we get to share everything that we're learning across our various countries, our various areas. So you might be doing something over in New Zealand and somebody else might be doing something in Nepal, and, but you can hook up relatively easily. And maybe between the two groups, you can come up with something that's brand new. That's
0: certainly a big benefit. So essentially, it's really just this organization, association of teachers, like a big worldwide, international, uh, especially now, thanks to you, uh, community of teachers that are able to exchange ideas and connect in that way, essentially, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a perfect example of a community of practice Mm -hmm. because everybody contributes according to their ability. And it's one of those organizations where somebody, if it's really important, David Noonan might be an example, He'll come up to you and say, just call me David. Don't call me Dr. Newman.
0: <laughs> He's quite the tough celebrity, as I would say. So that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's the attitude is we're looking to bring more people in because the more people we can bring in and engage, the more satisfied feel, they feel. Uh, George Brain, who's now retired, was the creator and founder of the non-native English speaking teacher, teacher caucus. Mm-hmm. And that was a, an organization that we developed inside of TESOL. It was a, one of the interest sections at TESOL. And mm-hmm. the purpose of that was to support teachers of English who weren't native speakers of English and were very often discriminated against because they yes. didn't have a perfect accent or something like that. And many of us got together and did research, for example, there were a number of researches that were done on whether or not uh, students really preferred a native speaker to a non-native speaker. And what we found time after again, in the beginning of the class, the students might complain a little bit, but by the end of the class, the native-non-native distinction had been finished completely.
0: Yeah, yep. That's super okay. important. And it's really cool that those organizations or those um, sort of communities were able to spring up out of TESOL.
1: And one of the things that came out in that community in particular, although I think it's more broadly spread now, is people who were veterans who were, had been in the organization for a long time would sit down with the newbies and say, okay, now you're going to do a, a, some research and you're going to publish and we're going to walk you through this. And this is the kind of uh, activity you can look at that you might be able to publish on now. And here are some publications that you can probably publish in now, although you're not a big expert And here. And just really walk people through the steps so that they could say at some point, oh, I can do this.
0: Nice, yeah. So it's very clear. Excellent. So let's say I'm a teacher or um, a new teacher or somebody who isn't a member of TESOL or anything yet. And this is new for me. How do I become a member? First of all, can you tell me a bit about that? And then also how else, aside from just connecting with teachers, how else does membership benefit me? Like, what do I get basically if I am a member?
1: So if you want to look, if you're interested about joining, go to TESOL International. That will, will, it will take you where you're going.
0: Good. I'll Uh, link to that in the show notes as well for our listeners.
1: If you're an established person in a relatively affluent country, the fee is ninety dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're from a low-income country, it's sixty-five dollars a year. And if you're brand new, it's your first time around; it's only sixty dollars. So it's not terribly expensive. It's yeah, annually. Yeah, not bad. We have two publications. We have TSO Quarterly, which is our research journal and is very well recognized. And we have the TESOL Journal, which is more about classroom practices. And it comes out again on a quarterly sort of basis. TESOL offers all sorts of programs, both to help teachers be more effective in teaching, but also to develop skills, uh, lots of online programs, just about anything that has to do with teaching English and being a professional, there are things that are accessible to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also we do publications, and there's publications that uh, are very practical, and there's some that are more theoretical, but there's a wide range of things you can access there. Uh, we talked about being a member of an affiliate, somebody out that's the small, in smaller groups by country or by state. Um, and is that, just to interject
0: if I so let's say I'm a member of the International Association, but then I'm I also live in Brazil, can I automatically become a member of that kind of subgroup like the um TESOL Brazil as well? Or do I have to pay an additional membership by country?
1: You'll have to do by country. So that's yes. Okay. That's true. Okay. However, you know, it was there is a affiliate that's called WA TESOL, which is Washington area TESOL in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. And if you're a member there, we work very hard to help you prepare, get you involved. Oh, come on, you can do this. Help us out with this. We have a, a conference coming up. You can help us uh, with the, the the journal or you can help us with the preparations for the food. And we bring people into the roles of being a member, of being a professional. Yeah. and it becomes part of the progress of getting into being more involved in the, more, uh, in the broader uh, association levels. Uh, when I started off, I was asked, would you be pre- president of WATISOL?" And I ran and I did that for three years and many of the things I did at that time helped me prepare for a higher role, mm-hmm. but also it gave me an opportunity to be known by important people in the area and began to introduce me to people at TSOL International. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, you, you, you have to pay dues at both places. And that's partly because these associations aren't full of money.
0: Right. I mean, <laughs> our, our field in general in is probably not what I would describe as full of money. So <laughs> that makes sense.
1: <laughs> but it, it, it's part of this whole system to filter you in and break, bring you in and make you a participant. Mm-hmm. And to show you how you can become a successful participant and then consequently have all sorts of experiences.
0: That's great. And for teachers out there listening, it's also possible, like once you start to get involved, if you're in the United States, for example, and you start to get involved at the state level, it's not that difficult, I would say, to to be able to um, give a presentation or a talk at some of the conferences, like the Watisol conference or the Matt Saul is the one in um, Massachusetts, for example, you can submit a proposal and it's not that competitive. I would say a lot of the time to be selected to give a talk. So it's a really nice way to kind of be able to showcase yourself and your knowledge and um, really connect with the community in a different way. And even if you've never submitted a proposal for anything before, I've found in my experience that there, there are usually great resources. Like you can watch a little recorded webinar, you can download a template like they will help you in terms of exactly how to format your proposal and all of that so that you know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, and that's true. We'll often even have groups who volunteer to, to be mentors to help people get through publishing that first paper and being able mm-hmm. to get it.
0: Yeah, so a really cool way to, as you were saying, get more involved and kind of put yourself out there a little bit in the industry. Excellent. So that was really helpful. And again, I'll link to a lot of the things that you mentioned in the show notes. So clearly you have some amazing experience in the English language teaching industry all over the world, doing all sorts of different roles, leadership roles from your start as, you know, working individually with different teachers. The one thing you hadn't done a lot of that you've started to transition to is online teaching. So tell us a bit about that. What made you want to start thinking about teaching online?
1: as I moved away from Peace Corps after 12 years there, um, they had got the best of me and it was time for me me to do something new. Um, At that time, I suddenly began to realize that there had been a big change over the past two or three years and Mm -hmm. that everything was happening online. And I had enough experience to see that you had to think differently about things online. I I didn't know where they were. I knew I was going to have to learn all new theory. I couldn't just keep doing that PowerPoint again and again for the rest of the time. (laughs) Um, But I didn't know how to go about it. A story I have to tell about my father because I really bring this home. This was like in 1998, so computers were well established, and Mm -hmm. those of us who were working in 98 all had computers on our desks and things. So. My father and mother were out there to celebrate my daughter's anniversary, and they were, we were all going to go down to the mall. But before, before we went, I had some work to do, and so we stopped off at the office for about a half an hour or so, and while we were there, my father was sitting at an empty desk, so I powered up the computer for him and showed him how to use it, and then I went back to work. And I happened to raise my head up, I guess, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, and my father was was sitting there, staring at the screen, going like this. And I said, Dad, what's wrong? He says, I'm afraid I'll break the mouse. <laughs> and I use that example, it's, it's poignant, but I use it to bring it home, is that there has been a whole generation of people who didn't grow up with these sorts of things. yeah but should they be discarded just because they didn't, it's not intuitive that they have to learn about it now. And right. what could we possibly do to find out ways that we can bring those people back? I mean, this came up quite a few times when we were at the face-to-face convention in Pittsburgh about a month ago was people would say to her, oh, so-and-so, yeah, she just she took one look at the online stuff and just said, I, I've had enough, I'm not going to learn this anymore. Wow. And to have people that feel that way, particularly people that have been in the profession for a while, we've got to find a better way to deal with it.
0: Yeah, that. it's kind of tragic that all of that experience that's been built up and all of that passion and interest and desire to help students is then just kind of extinguished because, oh, it's online. It's That's going to be too hard. Um, yeah. Even though it shouldn't be, right? There should be ways to make it accessible to all teachers.
1: Well, and the other thing that's a problem is that If you don't have the skills, I think in some ways, the only thing you're going to have to do, you can do is to keep doing it and breaking it and doing it and breaking it until you finally develop the habits. Mm -hmm. But It's hard to find contexts where that's going to happen. I mean, somebody can show you zoom one time and walk you through all of the various steps, but then you come back a week later and it's just, how did that go? Yeah.
0: That's a great point. And I I don't remember where I just read this quote. It was something like, if you want to be good at something, you have to be willing to be bad at it first, right? Because that's the best way to learn something is you just kind of have to accept that when you first start teaching online, it's probably not going to go super smoothly right away. You're going to make some mistakes. It's going to feel clunky and difficult, but then Like you said, you got to just sort of break it a few times, hopefully not literally the computer, but you kind of have to break it a few times, make some mistakes, and then eventually it becomes more natural, more comfortable.
1: Yeah. And I might even suggest that this is amazing, but people of my generation may have really had a radically different idea of what or a a way of what learning was than Mm -hmm. what's being done now. And I think another issue that people that are a little bit older have trouble with is, is they're used to having it presented, here's the idea today, now here you're, here we're going to do some. There's not that emphasis on experimentation that I think is much more common these days. That and is true. So if you're so not true. used to experimentation, again, that's, it's a good way to make you feel ill at ease.
0: That is incredibly true. And that is a pattern that I absolutely noticed in my experience of training teachers is that often the, the teachers who were, uh, I would say on the older side in terms of age, but also very experienced and confident and competent in their own professional lives were often the ones that had the most difficulty at first. And usually they would have this kind of resistance like, oh, it must be, you know, my memory is not what it used to be, or I'm just not a spring chicken anymore. And I can't learn this stuff. But it wasn't that it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was an emotional thing where they were just totally out of their comfort zone because they'd gotten so used to feeling so confident and so competent and so established in their career. And the way they had learned how to do that was, you know, through more traditional kind of training and learning methods that being told, no, just go make some mistakes and being okay with that was a very new and kind of terrifying feeling. Um, So yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, so you've talked a little bit about the benefits of online teaching in terms of, you know, this is kind of where the industry seems to be going and challenges in general. Did you have any particular challenges or if you are comfortable sharing with us what were maybe some of your worries or concerns about making that transition at first?
1: Well, you've you've listed many of them. Uh, <laughs> it was really hard publicly to make a mistake. It could be very frustrating when something stopped working and you didn't know why and you tried everything you knew and it still wasn't working <laughs> a lot of the things that you've described were the same thing for me i would get stuck and i wouldn't know how to fix it or i would be really embarrassed about trying it out one of the things i noticed at peace corps is if something needed a webinar done uh and it was something related to you so you really should be the person that presents the, <laughs> that zoom session but right. There's always this new intern that just got in and said, oh, I'll do it for you. And it's very <laughs> easy to say yes when what you should do is say, no, I need to learn how to do it.
0: I've got to stumble my way through it.
1: Right. And I think some of the things that though that I have learned a little bit about is that it's uh, online learning is very good for people to develop tolerance for ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And I think in general it's very good for building autonomy in students, because again, they have to have to take responsibility for uh, their learning to a certain extent on their own.
0: Very true. This is a little bit of a um, aside, but even with younger students, with younger generations, not necessarily young learners, but even, you know, people that are in their early twenties right now that have really grown up with computers and the internet and are so involved in social media and YouTube and TikTok and all these things that I've still sort of barely <laughs> like scratching the surface of that is, I think their preferred world. It's almost like they live in this more virtual world. And I saw it was a commercial on TV and it was put out by the company, not by a YouTuber or anything, but the commercial was a YouTuber reviewing the product that the commercial was for And it was so interesting to me that it looked like the typical YouTube, you know, kind of low budget. She's like just in her kitchen. The lighting wasn't great. She's like talking about this. It was a meal service, but it was a commercial from the company itself. And I thought how interesting that they opted to go this route of, it looks like just someone's home YouTube video. That's what they wanted instead of a high budget production, perfect lighting, perfect camera angles. Right. Because that's what people are watching now. They want that like YouTube authentic look instead of the big budget, fancy company look. So anyway, all of that to say that I think there is huge value in learning how to teach online from that sort of cultural generational aspect as well as almost like students can pay more attention in a weird way versus, you know, even in my generation, I would have thought, oh, it's online. it's They're not really going to pay attention to that, but it's the opposite.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I keep meaning to go to YouTube, but I never quite get there. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you even need to start. It can be like you can go down so many rabbit holes of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty soon I'm off watching some kind of pop culture stuff like, how did I get here and why have I spent so much time <laughs> out of my day doing this? So, okay, so you invested in some training to start teaching online um, and you worked with me actually in the online English teacher program and graduated, Ooh, it's been a few months now. So well done. You were a great candidate in the program. And to your credit, I know you talked about feeling embarrassed at times if you were still kind of getting comfortable with all the tech, but it never showed. You were like the most calm, collected teacher, no matter what was happening in your lesson. So the students never knew. <laughs> Surprise
1: surprised me. <laughs> uh,
0: so what would you say were some of your big takeaways or aha moments once you started really diving into online teaching and trying it out?
1: Okay, well, I'm trying to do this synchronously. I, I think in the beginning, well, even a step beginning when I was watching the first of your sessions and I, I was watching them, but I was also watching them as, as a professional. And, and, you know, maybe even times here and there kind of looking for something where I might have, might criticize a little bit, say, well, I'm not really sure that's, <laughs> that's quite a to yeah. theory or huh? not. But as I watched, one of the things that I would notice was typically is I would get to a part when we were doing a presentation or demonstrating something. But then I would have another thought and I said, well, you know, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I hadn't looked at it before. So there was almost never a time where doing the presentations, I thought, wow, this is not right or this is not representative. or There's no research behind this. No. Uh, So. That was something that was very uh, pleasing to me. I wasn't necessarily sure if I could expect that. The other thing I did that I thought was great was I really had time to take a look at a lesson that you had given us and allow us to uh, work with it and experiment with it and make it better. And I thought that was a lot of fun. And I was surprised at how much time I gave to it. And that was something that I could do easily. It was within my skill set. I didn't have to go outside it too much. So, So that was really fun. And I was able to do things and listen to what other people were doing. Quickly, though, I started breaking Zoom on a regular basis. And I would be getting very frustrated. But on the other hand, there was a release because the way the courses are set up is that the students in there are waiting for us to break things all over the place. They've been told to expect that. Exactly. If I do something, I'm I'm staying within everybody's expectations except for possibly mine. And so (laughs) that was wonderful. I could work with it and I could, oh, here's what I did wrong. Let's try this again to see if I could remember it. Yeah. Sometimes I could, and sometimes I couldn't. And you normally can't do that when you're having a lesson i'll call for lack of a better term a demo lesson where you walk through it and you see how it's all done but you then you don't have an opportunity to stop and try it out in a real classroom mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how you came to that observation but that was so smart to, to be able oh, well, thank to you. offer that element in there i don't know if anybody else is doing that so it was that's the sort of thing that could help bring back those people that threw up their hands because they weren't sure if they could do it. They would be given enough time that they could figure it out and feel comfortable.
0: Well, that's really good to hear. Uh, And just for for context, for our listeners, so you're talking about the Online English Teacher Live Practicum, which is basically sort of an add-on or upgraded version of the course, where instead of just going through the videos and doing the modules, you're also teaching one live lesson every week Um, And as you said, it's, it's not with paying students, right? The teachers are paying, you were paying for the training, obviously, but the students themselves that you were working with were taking the class for free. And yeah, they are, they're told to expect, you know, these are teachers in a training program. It's not always going to be perfect. So I really like your way of looking at it, kind of getting over yourself a bit and the expectations that you have of yourself and saying that if I mess up, That's exactly what's supposed to happen right now, right? It's We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for experience. And yeah, I like that idea of kind of getting those mistakes out of the way while you're working with the students who aren't paying and have very low expectations so that by the time you are working with your own students who are paying clients, those kinds of things have already been overcome. Do you feel that your comfort and your confidence with the technology improved by the end with that experience that you had?
1: oh certainly i did i mean it wasn't perfect but certainly i felt like i had a lot more confidence um one thing i've done since then is every couple of weeks i'll I'll pull out one of the sessions that i designed and and go through the various steps and to see if i've forgotten about how to do this thing or or it's interesting sometimes i'll find out that i have forgotten how to do x yeah and i'll fool around until i get it back um so I, I can't imagine myself doing that if I hadn't really felt that I got a lot out of the preparation allowed me to do that afterwards.
0: That's great. Okay. That's really good to hear. All right. So I know we're kind of winding down, but um, in terms of advice, so any other advice you would give someone who's in a similar position to yours, maybe like tons of experience in general, but thinking about making that leap to online teaching.
1: I, I may break them out a little bit. I think that one thing that's really important I know it certainly contributed to any success that I had is I like being a teacher but I don't know if I'd like to be a teacher all the time and conversely I like management I like being able to do planning and decision but I wouldn't want to do it all the time so I find the kinds of jobs that I really like are kind of a mix between the management part And the teaching part. So, one of the things I would encourage people to do is to look for opportunities to expand their horizons, even if the place they're working is an English school, is a language school, is look for ways that you can help out. Get involved in, you know, at the reception desk, if people are signing in at a reception desk, find ways that you can participate in the general operation of your school as well as teaching the school. And that will bring you to people's attention. And people are always happy to have somebody that have good skills in terms of management, organization, and things like that. So I, I really think that a lot of, again, a lot of the reasons I feel like I've had success is because I had those kinds of experiences. Uh, same thing, that I had a English for specific purposes coming up in my background a lot. Mm -hmm. kind of gave people confidence that I had lived two years in Peace Corps in a foreign country. Well, if I can do that, I'm probably a fairly stable person to have at my school. (laughs) Yeah. Look for things that you're doing in addition to teaching that can enhance your teaching and show that you have other dimensions that go with the teaching.
0: That's a great point. And a lot of that is as you said just putting yourself out there and saying, yeah, I'll try it. Oh, there's an opportunity to teach exam preparation. Okay, like if that's something you're interested in, presumably like, sure, let me try it and and learn about it that way.
1: And then the boomer in the room can can point and say, "Oh, look, look they're making a mistake. They're making a mistake." <laughs>
0: I love it. All right. Well, what's next for you? So I know that you're looking for some online teaching or you've started doing some teaching. um, And I know you're continuing to work with students and other teachers. Is that correct?
1: That's right. One of the things I would really like to do, I mentioned it earlier, is look at exchange programs, for example, because I'm really looking at ways that I can support and interact with those people that are working across cultures mm-hmm. who, like me, have had that same kind of experience and that same kind of more neutral perception of life and to be able to work with them. I haven't had any luck so far, but I, I think it would be very interesting to work with the Afghani refugees. And of course, mm-hmm. there's all the people from the Ukraine coming over, uh, working with adults in either of those groups would be very, very satisfying So, And, you know, a lot of the Afghanis are going to need... Uh, help in getting used to online learning and online anything. So that's a great opportunity there, I think. So those are a couple of things I'm thinking about now.
0: Definitely. All right. I love that. Well, Brock, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, sharing some of your experience, sharing some of your insight. I really appreciate the conversation today.
1: Well, thank you. It's been good to have the opportunity and and to think about some of these things in ways that I had not really looked at before. So thank you very much
0: thanks again for joining me feel free to leave a comment on this episode or reach out to me directly at info at and let me know what you want to hear in upcoming episodes if you enjoyed this episode i would love for you to subscribe on apple podcasts and take a few seconds to leave a quick review it helps so much in getting the word out there and of course if you know other teachers or travelers i'd love for you to share this with them too Stay tuned for the next episode, and until then, head to teflhorizons.com for more resources and teaching tips. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.